Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from three different perspectives. I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders and Melisandre for the Accidental Aliens. And I am Keith Foster. I write the comics Kadoja and Three Protectors and am a managing partner at Invader Comics. And I'm Gary Hodges. I'm the creator of the indie comic D vs. M. All right, guys. So we're here. It is it is finally here, the long-anticipated 100th episode of Making Comics. We did it, world's best cup of coffee. Well, I guess we haven't done it quite yet because this is the start. But yeah. it's exciting to get here. Gary, thank you for coming on. We do appreciate it. And honestly, it wouldn't feel right doing the 100th episode without you having a different guest on it. Just makes sense for you to be here. I'm delighted and flattered. I can't believe I'm here for the big 100. That's amazing. And then, we're, and then we're going to have you on on every multiple of this. So you're going to be on our 10,000th episode. And then whatever <laughs> that next one is, probably our, uh, what would that Fantastic. be? 100 millionth episode. So I think we're in really Wow. Good. Yeah, exponential, exponential. I will mark my calendar for the year 2035. <laughs> yeah, so, uh, excellent. That's what I like to hear. And so, okay, so if you guys listened to last week's episode or the weekend or the episode before that, we talked about what beer Keith and I would be drinking. We'll we'll name that name. But first off, Gary, thank you for providing us with these beers. So let's find out what you're drinking for this episode. Well, as you'll find out later, I need to kind of keep my facilities uh, for this podcast, so I'm just having a nice <laughs> white wine. I'm taking it very easy tonight. Oh. You guys, on the other hand, have a Rocky Road in store. Tell me about what you guys are drinking. Well, I just got a comment on that very fancy beverage that you're having, and uh, your nickname, I'll leave that on your show. I won't carry right. it on to here because I don't know how offended our audience would be. But, hey, whatever. If they've heard me and Keith talk, they, they can't be that offended. But uh, right. whatever. Um, so the beer that you gave us is Utopia's Barrel-Aged Worldwide Stout. This is, uh, it says, ages well. This is 12 ounces. And, Keith, this is, what did you say, 17.3? 17.3. I'm looking so crazy, but I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure I just have that tattooed in my memory somewhere. My understanding is that it kind of ranges a little bit. Oh, okay. Seventeen is the bottom. Can be up to about twenty-two. It's sort of. Oh, uh, are you serious? Yes. Yeah. Oh, yeah. this is definitely going to be a very special episode of Boss. Wild card. All right, let's do it. Let's All right, let's do it. On it. It's delicious. I have had a couple stout, stouts like this. That are monsters like this. I think I got one from Norway, a brewery called Nun. Oh, fuerte! <laughs> wow, I am breathing out rubbing alcohol. That's like what, what <laughs> it feels crazy. like that's coming out of my nose. So give us your because I'm I'm cool with this. You know, like I okay, Keith, you're you're more into this. Totally. style of beer. So uh, yeah, describe this for us for the audience here. Yeah, I mean it's it's a barrel aged stout. Okay, so so what does that mean? It means that somebody somewhere took a stout, which is thick and syrupy. It pours a lot like cough syrup, maybe chocolate. No, not not chocolate syrup, but like a cough syrup, right? It's liquid, and Scott loves it. Scott, I you know, I, I hope we're recording this on Zoom, and I get the feeling I actually did just record that, which would be amazing because I would like to take a still of it if I can. Yes, I hope so. Anyway, so it's it's a stout, which is going to be thick and syrupy. And then they age that in bourbon barrels, which is going to make it strong. So bourbon barrel aged stouts tend to be high ABV. They're 12% and higher. This one is, again, 17 to 22, based on what Gary said. It 
as with a lot of stouts, it has a chocolatey kind of thing going on. It's also sweet. Um, and as Scott mentioned, it does sort of have a whip around pungent boo, you know, just a big old booze thing, uh, to go on. So I, I know from experience sip these, which is unusual. And, uh, I'm hopefully going to take my sweet time, uh, sipping on this bad boy. Uh, the one thing Keith forgot to mention is that this particular barrel was thrown down the gates of hell and Satan himself <laughs> pissed in it and then threw it back up to Gary. And here we are. You're welcome. That's all I have to say. No wonder no, you're actually, like, hey, I'll gladly give you guys a bottle of piece of this. <laughs> <laughs> no, I fully agree uh, with what Keith said. It is a sipping beer. Like, you don't want to take a big, like, you know, look, 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 like of this, like that, that would be Scott just took. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. That's how, yeah. As soon as you were finished with that sentence, I was going to say, so the thing that I just did it is what you're saying. Yeah. Don't do that. All right, man. Okay. So that, uh, how's your white wine? <laughs> it's lovely. Lovely. Yeah, thank you. My that's, fancy that's white wine. Yeah. It's great. Fancy white wine. <laughs> Excellent. All right, guys. Um, Gary, you're the guest of honor. So what, what was your uh, productive thing this week? Well, I'm in drawing mode. I think, uh, I don't remember where was I was at, uh, when we last visited. That would have been Phoenix Fan Fusion. But I'm right now drawing page 34 of D versus M 1979. Uh, it's a particularly gnarly page. It's got, I've got soldiers on it and German shepherds on it. And I have oh, fun. billowy gas clouds that like, how am I rendering that? And so there's just a lot of complexity to it. I may go behind uh, just a little bit. Normally I try to start a new page every Saturday morning. I have a feeling this week I'll probably be finishing this page more like Sunday morning or sometimes Sunday, which is fine. It's, it's, I'll be able to recover from that, but it's just because it's a dense page and I think it's actually going to be a little bit of a, uh, it's going to be a crowd pleasing page. There's a lot that happens on it. It's going to be some fun sites. It's going to be when the readers realize the story is going from bad to worse. And uh, I think I'm going to pluck panels of it out for a trailer when I get closer to release. So it's going well. I'm excited about it, but it's it's slow. Yeah, it sounds like it's very involved. I, I know how those panels are, those pages are. It's just, and those are the ones I skip, Gary. Those are the ones I skip. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. No, as soon as, you know, I, it's something I think I've been talking about on my YouTube channel. Anytime you have a page where you have a bunch of soldiers running around, it's just going to be a nightmare. Because you have all these little insignias, all these little uniform details, all these rifle details, and stuff like that. Once you once you have a few of those and a few panels, that's not even mentioning dogs running around, things like that. There's just a lot of things you want exactly right, and it, it slows you down. Oh, yeah, definitely. The Drawing almost any animal is going to slow you down. And, I mean, you're doing a book that's involved with dinosaurs, so that's obviously yeah. going to be a different type of body structure than artists are normally used to drawing and that's just unless that's just your jam just drawing dinosaurs but then you throw dogs horses whatever whatever else in there and then you have vehicles on top of it it's like your book is so fun to read i really enjoy it but man would it be the last thing i would want to draw because it's just a bunch of animals robots <laughs> it's yeah. just like what are we doing here guys <laughs> it's some of the hardest things i know it I mean, is. This is you know we've talked many times about writer gary and artist gary and artist gary is definitely 
muttering under his breath about Ryder Gary right now. But I, I'm happy with how it's coming together. And I do think uh, D vs. M 1979, it's the best looking of all the D vs. M so far. I'm very happy with how just the look of it. I think I've elevated my game. And the end is in sight. I'm past the halfway point. It's easier for me to see finishing this now. Um, this is something I think, you know, either of you could appreciate. I'm at a point with it where I've been drawing, you know, page a week, page a week, page a week. You go through growing pains with that. First, you're very excited. You're shot out of a cannon. You're just doing your, your pages. And then you start to get tired. And then you're like, oh, boy, this is never going to get done. And then I think the stage I'm at right now, the runner's high, where it's just the rhythm of it has somehow lulled you into a weird zombie-like state <laughs> where you just, you know, it's like, okay, another page. Okay. In, the best, page. in the best possible way. In the best possible way. And I remember how this works from the previous two. Eventually one day you wake up and you realize, oh, my gosh, I only have three pages left or something like that, that you're in that kind of hypnotic just page a week, page a week, page a week, and you've lost. You're not thinking so much about where you're going or where you've been. You're just in the routine of it. And that's not a terrible place to be. That makes sense. That is actually, while it's not my first thing, that is the exact place I am with my novel right now. Very close to the end. And I think just yesterday I woke up and I was like, dude, I'm going to be done with this in less than two weeks. Like a five-year process is going to be done in two weeks. And it's very exciting. Much like when you get to the end of a comic, I imagine you get that energy now. You know, like I can... I can see the tape now at the finish line, and that matters, you know, instead of being in that head-down mode, as you just described. Uh, how many pages you got left, Gary? Uh, you know, I've been a little cagey about it because some of the pages are weird, and I don't want people, some of my super fans, doing too much math about when they can expect it to be done. But <laughs> I, I would say I've got it, uh, at least about 20 pages left, which means about 20, okay. 20 weeks of drawing. All right. And you said you're on page 35, so roughly 45 pages? Roughly, yeah. It's, more a, less. it's a little fuzzy. Some of the pages are a little strange. When people get uh, the book, they'll understand why I'm it's – it's a little hard to say. Uh, some of the pages are very minimal <laughs> um, for story reasons. So it's I think I have an idea. I'll, I'll mention it to you off the air. Okay, yeah. Yeah, no, I'd be happy to elaborate with either of you uh, – uh, when we're not recording, but it's so it's it's a it's a strange it's a fuzzy number, but I still expect to be done drawing late in Q1 of 2023. So that that's my hope. Uh, so then it'll be pivoting to all the intro and outro stuff, the cover, et cetera, et cetera. Right on, uh, Keith. How about you? What's your first thing for the week? Yeah, for me, my first thing when where we when we left our heroes last week, Keith had found an artist to do a backup story and didn't have a fucking backup story. Wasn't even close to one because the backup story he had turned out to be a bad idea. That was what a lot of my brain power went into. What story can I tell? Animals has this main content, and I found this killer artist to do a backup story so that I can have this neat, you know, it's only a two-issue series, so I want each issue to have some oomph to it, you know, and... um in doing that, I'm thinking about the story, and, you know, we talked about this a little bit last week, Scott, that you want something that's good, 
that augments the main story. So, you know, you kind of want this, like, checklist that doesn't really exist, right? You want it to augment the main story, but not upstage the main story. And you want it to add stuff, but you got to be careful about what you add. You know, my first idea for this story was something that gave away a lot of stuff that happens in part two. Well, why would I want to do that? You know, so I finally settled on something. In fact, what was it? I think I was... I think I was at a, yeah, I know what it was. It was, I was at a fencing tournament, uh, one with Eden and the damn thing ran so late. I brought, I brought like 12 comics to read. I read them all before she even started because it was running. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And then, and then I did something else and I did that. And I'm like, Jesus, Eden has not even started yet. So I just started to write down some ideas for animals. And I was like, yes, yes, no, whatever. And then I finally hit on it. So I fleshed it out and then I sent it to Mike and I had this whole, Hey Mike, what do you think about this? Like it's, it augments the content in issue one. It gives a, a little bit different perspective, but it doesn't necessarily upstage issue one. It just kind of serves as a, as a thing. And I gave him the whole thing. He was like, yeah, you go with that. So then, uh, so I was happy because I was able to send that to the artist. And of course, then you have fingers crossed and you want to see what the artist says. And uh, he came back and said, I love it. I already have images for it in my head, and uh, I'm excited to draw it. And the final thing on that before I I kick it back to you, Scott, is that I told him in the email, uh, this is going to be the first thing that I write, Marvel Method. So this is what I did. I, I, I gave him an idea of the story and said, this is how many pages it is, just to give you an idea. Um, go ahead and draw it. And I said, you know, I want to do six pages, but if, but if it takes seven, then by all means, just do seven. And then I will worry about all the dialogue later. It's not particularly dialogue intense, but it'll be fun to do Marvel Method with it and just kind of have this idea and then worry about writing to the panels instead of the way I do it, which is DC Method, I found out. And, and a very standard method where you just delivered, polished, detailed script, and they simply follow that script. So, yeah, man, oh, I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll be getting pages at some point on it. I'm excited. That's awesome, man. That's great that you've uh, managed to solve that problem that you had last week. And oh, that was a super quick turnaround, so glad to hear it. Again, hey, it's, it's, the old, it's the old Keith adage of in, re, in the real world, you cannot bang your head against a wall over and over. You will lose whether you do it no matter how long in the writing adage the wall gives you just have to you just have to keep on banging your head against that wall and that wall is going to give 100 times out of 100 as long as you stick to it Hold on. yeah i like getting um artists to either do covers for me and if i find that their rate for interiors is very reasonable i'll think of a story i actually have a story that is finished and should have been out probably two to three years ago, um, but it's part of an anthology series that's for the accidental aliens. It's called uh, Astounding Adventures. Hey, whenever one of the aliens has a short story ready, like a superhero story, um, when at least three of us have something, we throw it together in an issue and put that out. And so issue one, two out of the three, well, two out of the three aliens that agreed to do the first one have their books done. They've had them done for quite a while, and I'm one of them. Um, I helped write the story with Ed. It's a six-pager, and the artist is actually working for DC now. He's doing cover work and interior work for um, Scout as well. So he's actually moving. I found him on a Facebook group. He was pretty amazing, and I had him do a couple of covers for me, and I was just like, hey, man, what's your interior rate? Just just curious. You know, he was so affordable, and um, it was wild what I got him for. And I was like, yeah, okay, well, I'm going to get you some work. 
And so we put together a short story super quick. So right now it's in my back pocket. I have to get this other short story done that I'm going to have to write and draw. Um, and I'm planning to do that in January. So when that happens, I'll actually have two out of the three stories in that anthology series. So it's kind of cool. Um, uh, number one, to get this story that I want to work on um, done in January. But it's also cool to finally get that six-pager out, which I've had for a couple of years now. It's just sitting there done, and it's just so crazy to me. Yeah, you're like, hey, it's an anthology, but me. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, I had a... Um, my buddy Travis thought of that. Like, so we, we have a few anthology series together. He has short stories in, I think he has short stories in all of them. He might be missing out of one of them actually. Um, but he has at least three or four short stories and he was talking about collecting them into one book for himself and selling that. Mm-hmm. And I was like, Hey man, that's a smart idea because once these anthologies that we have, once they're sold out, we're not reprinting them. Like the first anthology he has a short story in doesn't exist anymore because it's completely sold out. So. Um, for him to reprint it, it's just a smart move to do. Yeah, that dude, that's that's how writer short story collections get done. You know, Stephen King writes this for this magazine, that for that magazine, that for that journal, knocks out a bunch more, and then you have yourself a short story collection. So yeah, man, totally totally normal to see that at least in the book world, and uh, a very cool idea to do it in the comic world too. Gary, do you have an idea of other short stories or other other books that you potentially might want to work on after uh, D versus M? I know you got some time. You have at least like two more books that you want to do, right? Three more, three more, three more. Okay. Yeah, so it, it's at least going to be the next few years of my life. But no, absolutely. I, I um, this was the first creative uh, endeavor I successfully learned how to follow through with. <clears throat> Everything before that was either minimally ambitious, so it was easy to crank out in a week or two, or incomplete. Uh, so there are a lot of things that I would like to circle back to now that I feel like I've built some good habits. There are a couple screenplay ideas I was playing with before I did the comic, and there, I think biggest of all, it's the thing I is never too far from my mind. There was a fantasy novel I started trying to write way back in college. Uh, that I got about a third written. I had it completely outlined. I had all the world building done. It was just a matter of sitting down every day and doing it. And I just couldn't, I I didn't, like I said, I didn't have the same work habits I do now. Uh, When I picked up the comic, I don't remember if I told you you guys the story before, I was just fed up with not finishing things. I, I just felt like, you know, I want to actually follow through on some ambitious creative project. And I looked at the slate of things I had. I had some screenplays. I had the comic idea, and I had the novel. And I picked, I ruled out the screenplays because it's like, I'm going to write that. No one will ever see it. It will just end up in a drawer. That's not very cool. And between the novel and the comics, I thought, oh, well, a comic is going to be much easier than a novel. And I was like, I'll just do the comics. That's way more manageable. In retrospect, now two and a half comics in and with three more to go and writing and and planning and doing all the research and drawing and all that, uh, no offense, Keith, I think a novel would have been way easier, way, way, way easier. So, like, now I feel like now that I've – if I can do six comics, I feel like I should be able to – knock a novel out of the park. So that's that has been my plan when I finished Deep vs. M. I think I want to circle back to the fantasy novel. 
Let's get novel writer Gary on that future podcast and find his opinion now. Let's do it. Yeah. It's a, it's a, it's a different kind of problem. You know yeah. what I mean? I, I, that's all I can say. You know what I mean? Because yeah. novels have the unique thing of, you know, being, being elaborate, multi-structure Jenga block things, right? So yeah. you do this one little thing over there, you're like, oh, fuck. That screwed the whole thing. Screwed the whole thing. I have to go back through every single page of this novel and make sure that that thing is now fixed, right? And then you get into like, well, and then if that little thing is fixed, then the character would think something different down the road and blah, blah, blah. So again, I, I can't compare to drawing because I don't, but I know that it's, it's just, it's a unique kind of headache that you get from novels versus what I, and what you guys tell me comic problems that present themselves are. I should I should clarify, to be fair. I would writing a novel is easier. I will say doing comics is to me intensely more time consuming. Yeah. And I think that's the big difference. Where I think maybe a novel would be even more of a nightmare in terms of work and effort and blood, sweat and tears. But I I know I could probably get you know, I can burn through a couple reams of paper. <laughs> in a year or two, where for me right now, a year or two will get me one fat book in a six-part anthology, yep. you know? And, like, so that's where it's, like, okay, I, it's it's way more attainable now. It, it sounds like something I can wrap my hands around. But. Right on, man. Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. I saw this clip. It kind of pertains to this because you're, you guys are talking about the differences between graphic novels or regular novels, comic books, or prose. Um, I was watching, and, and, and this is one of those instances where you're just doing random shit and you get inspiration or something just clicks for you in another area. So I was on uh, either those YouTube shorts or Instagram stories or something and just going down the rabbit hole, right? Like mine is very curated to very specific things, comedy, K-pop, specifically Blackpink, and uh, clips from Neil deGrasse Tyson. I have a lot of Neil deGrasse Tyson clips. And one of the ones that I had watched was him talking about being in school. And, like, you guys remember being a senior, right? Well, I don't, I don't know. I might be talking to the wrong crowd. You guys are a little brainier than I am. But a lot of the crowd I hung out with, we were psyched to be done with high school. We were ready for it to be over. You know, it's that song, you know, school's out for summer, school's out forever, right? So it's like the goal is to get the fuck out of school. The school system is flawed in that sense because these kids do not want to learn more. They're excited to leave because of the things that they're learning just have no interest in. So it's great, like, you know, you have those schools that are, like, very specific professions that you're learning. It's something you more than likely want to do or, you know, think you have the ability to grasp. Um, and he was saying that you want the students, you want the people in those positions to want to learn more. And thinking about, like, let's say trigonometry or something like that, a subject that you have no interest in, that I have no interest in. You're thinking about that subject. You just not want to be in it. You're not good at it. You have zero want to pursue that in any kind of way. And to the point where you're like, I'll never use this in real life. Now, most of the time that is going to be true. Most of us are not going to use trigonometry ever again. Um, if you ever learned it in the first place, I did not. And, um, but the reason for learning those things is to train your brain to think of things in a different way than you did before try to problem solve something 
in a completely different manner than you've approached it from ever. So that was interesting to hear, just that little clip. And I find that to be something similar that happens to me, but usually it's in subjects that I do give a shit about. So, you know, whether we're talking about when I was wrestling and, you know, Gary, I had mentioned on your show uh, watching that wrestler Fit Finley do something with the ring apron and just using the ring differently than I had ever seen anyone else use. It just flipped this switch in my brain and it just made me want to learn more and figure different things out. And I feel like, you know, with like Simone DeMaio, artists like that for comics, it switched something in my brain where I need to learn more. I need to figure different things out. So uh, just seeing clips like that and just watching random things can really open you up to different ways of thinking and, like just overall, not just about comics, but life in general. So I have a quick question. Yes. How is that beard hitting? How's that going? Well, I don't know, man. I'm getting fucking philosophical in the middle of the podcast. <laughs> so you tell me, buddy. Yeah, I mean, he's gotten he's gotten this philosophical exactly zero times out of the previous ninety. All right, all right. So well, maybe the Hamilton maybe the Hamilton quote from the other week. Yeah, I am. Uh, I am nursing mine. So yeah. I think. I mean, the captain has definitely allowed people to turn on their laptops again, you know, but I, I don't think, I don't think we've reached cruising altitude. Okay. But I'm okay. On that You're not ready to move about the cabin. Not, not quite. I'm not ready to move about the cabin, but it turns out that I'm ahead of Scott because Scott, after taking those three swings, I don't think has touched it. Yeah. I'm at the, the neck where okay. the neck is. Empty. This is all I have left. There's, there's. Oh yeah. Oh. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, I am not the captain now. Um, so we'll see. Okay. So, uh, my first thing, so getting on to my first thing. Um, okay. So we're in the month of October and all bets are off. So I'm doing Drawtober. What I like to do every year is work ahead as fast as possible because like Gary in, let's see, that was 2020 was the first year I did Drawtober. I also had army men and it was a crazy like bloodshed. It was a pile of bodies and I knew that I would have to work furiously to get ahead of everything because some of the pages were really complex, really involved. Other pages, not so much. So you could kind of coast, knock those out super quick and move to the next one. Um, so, but that's my, that's my process. Every Drawtober, I can guarantee you guys out there, anyone that's doing Drawtober, Inktober, they are working ahead. I guarantee you this. I don't know that there are people out there that are doing it the same day. And if there are people doing that, more than likely they are not completing every single day. Uh, that's just that's just my theory on it. We're a bunch of artists. We're a bunch of like wanderlusts. We're all doing random things. We want to go somewhere else. We don't necessarily want to be at our desk all day long. Um, not everyone's a maniac like me and Gary, where we're just like, no, we have to do this because our brains tell us we do, or our family dies. Um, so working ahead is my thing, and so I am actually on day thirteen, um, and I believe we're on day. Six as of this recording. So, uh, I have finished day 13 on day six and I want to bang this out as fast as possible because I want to get that work on, uh, back to work on second shift 13. So that's, I want to get as many projects done this year as I can. So if I can bang out second shift 13 and then come back to Wanders before I have to hop onto this short story, we'll see if that happens. But, um, yeah, the, the name of the game is getting books done and I'm, I'm aiming to do it. I can, I can imagine. Drawtober, having an initial form where people knocked out a sketch. You know what I mean? And that's, you know, if we're talking about like a quick head sketch or a quick sketch or a warm-up sketch, I could totally see that being in the true, I think, vein 
of what this started as. But as with anything, right. it gets bigger, gets a little bit more creative. Um, it gets a little bit more involved. People want to put their best side forward. And as a result, you know, you do pre-work before Drawtober and you're working ahead and you're just posting stuff every day as opposed to waking up and spending five hours at your drawing table every day just to post something new. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely those people that are just maybe doing head sketches of, of characters or something along that those lines, something that's not overly involved. Yeah, I can see people doing that the day of. But, you know, I'll see guys like Chris Somney. They're doing full-on rendered pieces. They're just like straight up a whole piece. I mean, I'd imagine he's wicked fast. Like, I don't really know his speed, but he looks like someone that would be quick. Um, so potentially he could be doing it all, you know, every day. But just with his layouts alone, I have the feeling that he's working ahead. Hey, there's the beer. It's here. <laughs> for you or for me? For me. It's, okay, me too, a little bit, to be honest yeah, with no, you. No, it's, it's, we are, yeah, the, like you're, I'm pretty free to move about the goddamn cat. <laughs> <laughs> We've all had that moment where you're sitting there and you realize like, oh, Oh, yeah, exactly. oh, then now I'm in it. I'm in it. I was exactly, yeah. Scott was talking, and all of a sudden I was like, whoa, floaty. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Scott just got a little more interesting. Um, yeah. <laughs> Hello, world. <laughs> and attractive. Mine was, <laughs> thank you. Mine was, uh, I had a lot more spit in my mouth. <laughs> I was like, wow, there's sure a lot of saliva in here. Yeah, I don't, they usually don't, don't slobber this much. It's kind of weird. Yeah. And I'm the only one in this room, so. <laughs> Very nice. All right, man. So, uh, yeah, so I think that's the one, one for each of us. We're going to keep that a little bit tight this week. So we had also mentioned that me and Keith might be messed up because of these beers, and then Gary might have to end up hosting. Well, yeah. we actually turned that into a thing, and it was actually Gary's idea. It was pretty clever. We were trying to brainstorm. We were brainstorming, um, trying to think of something clever. And uh, we were having some troubles. And Gary thought of this brilliant idea of maybe asking us questions. And uh, as opposed to us just kind of recapping the first hundred episodes and all of that, Gary's like, hey, how about I prepare some things and have you guys talk about these questions I'm, I'm interested in. And, hey, uh, Gary, welcome to the show. And do all the work, please. So, yeah, we signed up for that right away. <laughs> Can I just, can I make honorable mention of my idea that I would like to share? Cause I, I, I like this idea and I know you guys did too. I just don't know how we'd ex- execute it. Like stealing from TV shows that like they do these anniversary episodes in their clip shows. I really liked the idea of making this a fake clip show where we would like say, and hey, remember on episode 52 where we talked about drawing and then you could just pause and go like, Fake ass clips that didn't really exist. <laughs> you know? I think, I think one day when you got most of your shit off of your plate and you have time to go through each episode or you and I, like we, we go, okay, Keith, you got episode one through 25, Scott, you got, you know, 26 through 50. And so we'll do it that way, right? And we can go through and just write down our favorite moments, and then we could actually record those exact things. Hey, remember in episode 23 when we talked about this? And, like, I think we could pull it off, and I think it would be super rad, to be honest with you. Um, It's just a matter of taking the time to listen to all those episodes and just finding all of the gems. Yeah. It's like the Star Wars special edition. We'd just be redoing it and making it better. (laughs) Go ahead, Gary. As a fan, I would love to hear, like, a a super cut, like, just a, a highlight uh pod that just 
plucks out all your favorite moments. That would be pretty cool. We, we could do a greatest hits of simply the cut conversations, and then things could get insane. Oh, God, and then we could really lose our, our number count here. Yeah. <laughs> it'd be great. Again, it's, it, it'd be our in utero. All right, so we're going to go ahead. I'm going to turn this, so I will stop my hosting duties for this part of the pod. Gary is going to take over. So, uh, Gary, what do you got for us? Well, I, uh, you know, you, you did a good job of, of teeing me up. So you wanted me to come on and talk to the two of you. I think I'm going to just represent the fans today and ask some questions of the two almighty hosts of Making Comics. Um, I wrote some questions. I tried to make them kind of deep, and I was hoping, uh, you know, that 17% will be pumping through your veins by now, and maybe we'll get some some extra honest answers. But uh, So this is going to be a little uh, James Lipton from Inside the Actor Studio and a little... A little, uh, a little marriage counseling. We'll see. But, okay, so first of all, now with this first one, give me a little runway. There is a question at the end of this, but just to set okay. it up. I, also, real quick, I would like a little Zach Galifianakis in between two firms, if you could fit that in somehow. Uh, I will try to just put in a little bit of snark. Yeah. Okay, I'll, thank I'll you. do my best. That's okay. all I ask. Just try your hardest. So something I've talked about a lot and thought about a lot uh, for a lot of my art career or my creative career is the importance of having um, connections with other creatives, not just for the professional benefit, like not the networking, I'm doing little finger quotes, networking, but for the moral support. Like just, I think, you know, when you're in school, for example, or when you're in a writer's class or when you're taking a studio art class, maybe you went to art school, whatever your thing is, you might take for granted that there's all these creatives around, all these interesting, talented people around that you can bounce ideas off of, who can share your struggles and understand what, you know, the challenges of being a creative, et cetera, et cetera. But then once you get out in the real world, you realize that, those sorts of people are few and far between. It can be a very solitary thing. I mean, Keith especially, just sitting and writing, writing, writing. That is as solitary as it gets. It's as inward as it gets. Now, the Making Comics podcast, I think, provides that for a lot of the listeners. It allows them to feel like they're part of a tribe, or at least to hear other people in the tribe. They can feel like this is a part of a larger community that I'm participating in. But what I was curious about is how much of it is it for you guys? How much of it is less about the audience and more about the fact that no matter what, come hell or high water, once a week, you guys have a date to sit down and have a beer and talk shop. How valuable is that to you guys? Um, for me personally, like, like I was, when me and Keith first started doing this, like, the initial conversation was how Keith has tried to do multiple podcasts. And I have tried to do multiple co- podcasts and both of them failing. And, you know, our common gripe was our partners could not keep the schedule. Like there was always something that came up. Like, for instance, my first podcast that I was trying to do, it was a um, um, like a pop culture podcast, mostly on nerd, nerd culture, specifically TV shows and movies. And um, one buddy lived on on the East Coast, one was in the Midwest, and then I'm over here in California. So it was just one of those things where we could not make it work out. And then the second attempt was with the accidental aliens. It was more or less the same thing, but, hey, they're in the same time 
time zone as I am. And, uh, that still didn't work out. You know, they were just had their own things going on and, and I couldn't make it work. And something that you guys have noticed on this podcast is me and Keith are very good at keeping schedules. Um, we can show up every week. We will dedicate that couple of hours a week to each other to do this, um, for a couple of different reasons. Number one, it's fun. Podcasting is fun. Keith and I, uh, as well as you, Gary, we're all talkers. Like we love to talk. So like to do a podcast, it just makes sense for us. And to do something on the creative process kind of made sense. Number one, it's, it's almost therapy to us, or at least to me, let me speak for myself. It's a little bit therapeutic to talk about the process. So that way, you know, when Keith asks me questions, and I don't necessarily know the answer, like all of the answer. I know a little bit of what he's talking about. It makes me go and research it. And and half of the time I'm like, oh, yeah, I was right. I, I knew what I was talking about. I just needed that double check to make sure. You know, so it makes me stronger in the sense that I'm expanding my universe mentally, like what I know about comics, how to talk about it. And um, the other half is, hey, I get, to know, I get to know Keith better. And that's something I mentioned to him. I'm like, you know, worst case scenario, if no one ever listens to this thing, we get to hang out every week and chop it up. We get to bullshit. We get to talk about the things we like to talk about. One of those things being comics. And for, you know, much to the chagrin of some of our audience, it's also basketball. So, you know, you, you take the good and the bad. And, uh, you know, I get to hang out with my buddy via, uh, you know, Zoom or just, uh, you know, whatever else, FaceTime, whatever else we use to contact each other. And uh, we record these episodes. And for me personally, it's it's the talking it through, making sure I know what the fuck I'm talking about. And it holds me accountable because if me and Keith are doing a podcast every single week and we have to talk about the things we did that week, well, guess what? It's not a very interesting podcast. I have nothing to say. You know, I know Keith is a workhorse. I know I'm a workhorse, but it definitely keeps me on task. and makes me accountable for my books. Yeah, I mean, I, I echo a lot of that. I will say that that I had of my previous podcasts, I did have one that I think was was a nice success. It was called the Vinyl Exam, right. 175 plus episodes. The only reason we stopped doing that, actually, I can say that story. The only reason I stopped doing it is because I felt I ran out of things to say. So we did three seasons of the Vinyl Exam. We're we're talking with record collectors. We're we're each doing our own personal journey on what music, but specifically records, mean to us. And for me, by the time I got to the end of season three, I talked to Sama about this. Sama Ahmed shouts. And um, and I was telling him, like, look, we can keep on doing this podcast, but I don't think there's anything new to say. I think we've said it all in terms of our own personal questions. We have answered individually what music means to us. We've answered individually what vinyl records mean to us. We've interviewed all kinds of killer collectors and shop owners, and we went to cool places, and we've done all these cool things. So, look, we could continue that. We could interview more shop owners and more collectors and more musicians and more people who have made music a foundation of the business they've started, like my all-time favorite restaurant, Grill Mall, right, a heavy metal burger joint. Um, but... I, you know, it would just be the same pre-established moves we've done already. So, you know, we were drifting in different places in life, and we were like, yeah, man, let's just, you know, toast it and, and move on. That doesn't have anything to do with this. But to address your question, Gary, yes, I think, I think having that space once a week 
where I know I'm kicking it with my buddy is helpful. Um, cause to your point, I don't, I don't talk a lot of craft with people. I mean, <laughs> well, I have, I have a kid who's in a creative writing conservatory. So I have that built in family advantage and I have a wife who appreciates creativity and art and loves it in her own way as, and is more than happy to be a willing participant in the kind of things I'm doing. But that said, that's still going to be a different angle than the kind of angle I'm going to get with Scott. Cause Scott's going to be able to tell me craft things. You know, Scott's going to be able to give me craft level feedback. And while this may or may not be a question going forward, you know, there are these craft things that I've learned directly from Scott simply by co-hosting a podcast with him and listening to the things he's going through and incorporating those things. So yeah, I mean, to your point, it's big. I just hung out with some dudes from my local comic shop last night, actually, and that was nice. It was nice to hang out with some comic fans, but none of them create comics. And, you know, Scott and I met by getting randomly placed next to each other as vendors at a comic convention. And this has that feel, but it's actually more focused, right? It's like, it's like getting placed next to the most awesome person next to you. And then just talking about craft and stuff like that and having that develop, you know, all the time. And it's, it's different too, because, um, I've done many a shows where I'm next to people have, that have no interest beyond comic books, um, that, that we have in common. So we have nothing else to talk about besides comic books, or they might be a manga person and I have nothing to talk to them about. So, but, uh, Keith, you know, no shot at manga or anything like that. I, I watch it. Uh, I watch anime from time to time. I, I don't read any manga, um, strangely that I'm doing wanders, which is a manga style book, but, um, you know, Keith and I, we have basketball in common. We have music. We have, uh, you know, um, shoes, like sneakers, stuff like that. Just all these different interests that we can talk about that aren't comic books. And it's just like, you know, for, for me, that was my second comic convention ever. I did San Diego Comic Fest as my first, and I was next to just other comic creators. And, and it was my first convention, so that was good enough for me. I didn't need anything else beyond that. Um, but then going to Long Beach Comic Con where I was, me and my writer Ed, we were placed next to Keith and this dude just liked all the same shit we did. And it was just like, whoa, this is wild. Like you like all this other stuff too? Yeah, man, that shit's sick. And then we would just chop it up about all these other things. And it's just like, whoa, did we just become best friends? You know, it's one of those <laughs> things where you get lucky every once in a while and you get placed next to someone as, as did we next to you, Gary in Phoenix fan fusion, oh, yeah. you get, you get placed next to someone that it just clicks with you. It's like, well, this person's pretty cool. Yeah. You know? And like, like initially, I mean like, Hey, full disclosure, when we were next to you the first day and you were just crushing it and we were eating bags of dicks, or at least <laughs> I was, I was like, what the fuck is this guy got over there? Like everyone is stopping by and picking up his books and, uh, so I was just, I was a little jealous, you know, like you, you've seen how it's gone for me the last couple of Phoenix fan fusions where it's like the first couple of days I'm kind of sitting on my hands. I'm doing a small amount of business here and there. And then Sunday it's just like, well, guess who the fuck hulked up, you know? And then boom, I destroy Phoenix fan fusion on Sunday. Sunday is my day for that show. So it always ends right as rain. But I remember initially going like, man, Whatever that guy has got over there, I got to check it out because he's just fucking crushing it, and I, I want to know what it is. And so, thankfully, the next day you were just like, "Hey, how's it going, guys?" And I was like, "Hey, what's up?" And and so you were easy to talk to, and here we are, yeah, on episode one hundred. And even more thankfully, you entertained that guy who did the whole fish versus bear thing. Ah, oh. 
And, yeah. and Scott and I were just like, we're not making, I'm not, I, I turned to him. I was like, we're not making eye contact. It's, it's contact with the like, I'm not, no, I'm no, not no. here to be the witness to a one man personal performance that he's doing. But boy, you just hung in there, man. That, that must have been. It, it was it was 25 real minutes, but it must have felt like it must have felt like the final level of Inception, where like time moves, where one second equals like 50 hours. <laughs> you know, like it was crazy how long he was talking to you and how long you were engaging him on that. I had successfully blocked that out. I had completely forgotten goat goat versus fish guy. That's it. Who, for people who just a quick recap, it was this guy. He goes to a bunch of conventions. I think I follow him on Instagram after that strange encounter. He dresses up like some kind of weird shaman, and he confronts people randomly throughout cons and asks them if they're goat or fish. And yeah. then he'll rant and rave no matter what you say. And it's, it was, it was a little excruciating. I think I was featured in one of his videos just because I, I actually did talk to him. With yeah. Yeah. I mean, again, it's, and to, to frame it just a touch more, it has a very, like, he's trying to be Monty Python. Yes. And, and coming up like substantially short of Monty Python, you know. <laughs> Falling, falling a bit short, correct. This, this I've definitely cool. seen him in San Diego as well. Like, oh, I'm yeah. not just, I don't, I don't know that I saw him at San Diego Comic Con, possibly, but I know I've seen him at the smaller shows. He's definitely been around, and a couple of my studio mates have also entertained him. And uh, yeah, I'm just like, all right, good luck with that, guys. I'm not, I'm not doing that shit. Yeah, that was. Uh... Oof. Okay, let's let's uh let's let's move on from goat versus fish. Let's um so is there something so you guys there are friends and even best friends who don't talk once a week, especially as an adult. Like I have people I would consider best friends I talk to every few months. Um uh, you guys weekly conversations at length, tell me something you've learned about the other by doing these. Uh, what I've learned from Keith by doing these is who he is as a person. Like I, I met Keith at a show. We would see each other at a show maybe once a year or something like that. Maybe twice a year we'd run into each other. And honestly, that was about it. Um, you know, like we would send messages on social media, maybe something along those lines, but that was really the extent of our relationship. So our relationship is what it is today because of the podcast. The fact that you do have two people that are scheduled to talk to each other every week and you just kind of chop it up about life or whatever's going on or whatever game's on or who you're, what your favorite player or your worst player is doing. And, um, you just get to know each other way better. So the thing that I learned about Keith is, is who he is as a person. And it's a very good, he is a very good person. So, um, you know, that's, that's the thing that I learned about him is exactly who he is. And, uh, I'm, I'm glad that we did this podcast for that very reason. Yeah, I mean, let me let me give a, a an equivalent answer first and then a, a more soundbitey answer at the end of it. So to that point, you know, the, it's it's definitely reciprocated here. You know, like I, I you know, like when when you know me well. To know me is to love me. Know me is to love you. <laughs> to know me to know me is to become acquainted with my family. Scott is Uncle Scott. So that's, that's how my family is. You know what I mean? And Scott can basically 
you know, walk. Scott has spent time in the room or in a restaurant or somewhere with every single member of my family, not me, for at least, what, three hours minimum, right? Like, you've been in the room with, you've hung out with Rachel and I multiple times. You've hung out with Eden. You've hung out with Alyssa. You've hung out with Ava. You know, you're you're an extended member of the family. And, uh, and obviously, because we do shows together, you know, we do all this stuff, we... We hang out, we have beers, and the, and the, 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 the word starts to flow. You know, like we know a ton about each other on every single well-rounded thing. You know, we, we've, we've bullshitted about everything from, you know, who, who the best small forward in the NBA is to, um, what the best way to, what the best way to give someone respects at a funeral is. <laughs> you know what I mean? So there's a lot of range there. And I think that's, you know, we, we, we don't, we don't just talk once a week about comics. We talk more than that. And when we have these in-person meetings, we hang out. And so, yeah, it's, it's a very well-rounded thing, but one more thing coming in a second. Fuck. I forgot. I, I like was going to interject and then this beer just hit me and I'm like, I don't, no, it's gone. That 17% <laughs> hits hard. It's yeah, hard. He comes for you. Okay, so I'll give, this, I'll give the sound bitey thing, which is this motherfucker collects comics at a level I cannot exist at. <laughs> I have a problem. Yeah, I, mean, I, I knew there was a moment. There was a moment when I knew, like, holy fuck, I am out of my league, you know, and, and that's okay. Like, I'm, I'm comfortable with my place. Do you know what that, you know what I'm going to say, Scott? Well, I do know what I was going to say. Okay, um, go ahead. Dude, well, well, here, let me, let me finish this. You, yes, real quick. Yes, with ice okay. cream. It was when I did an article on ice cream man for iHorror, and then you're like, oh yeah, I got ice cream man. I'm like, oh yeah, wow, it reads well, right? Like the, the trades, and you're like, I didn't get the trades, man. I'm a single comic guy. I got all the issues. And I'm like, I know how much those issues are, Scott. And he was like, right? <laughs> yeah, I have a problem. Um, I always tell people, I'm like, look, I don't get addicted to drugs, alcohol, any of those things. I'm not addicted to those things. The things I'm addicted to are video games and collecting. And that's why Pokemon Go is not on my phone anymore because it's a video game about collecting. And, um, yeah, so that vice is collecting comic books and I do it aggressively. <laughs> the hardest in the piece. <laughs> oh, and I gotta say, um, with everything that Keith said there is true. Yes. And, uh, some of our best conversations are not on the podcast. They do not exist to time. They, I mean, they exist to time and that's it. They do not exist on a recording. Um, because when we have a couple of drinks in us, it's just the right amount of drinks. We just let it fly. We just talk. We say whatever we want to say. And without those restrictions, you get some really interesting conversations. You go down some crazy rabbit holes because there is no objective to that conversation. Like, it's just, yeah, say whatever the fuck you want to say because we had some beers, you know? And, like, it'll just be tangent after tangent. We'll mention one thing, and it'll trigger something in the other person's brain, and then they'll jump onto that. And it's just one of those things where you're just working off the other guy's conversation. And before you know it, we've been talking three hours and we're like, Oh, Hey, we should probably go do this thing that we were supposed to. <laughs> we didn't record a fucking second. <laughs> <laughs> so is there something I've been curious about this, especially, is there something that the other one of you has said that you're surprised stuck in there that you find yourself revisiting that maybe even changed your approach to your creative work, some little 
something about their approach, their their thought about creative work, their thought about what's good or bad that somehow got in there and you revisit? The one thing that sticks out to me is, okay, so this this is interesting in itself just because of how my brain works. So there's an idea in my mind at what comic books are. And it's the shit that I grew up with. And those, to me, those are comic books. I'm not, not to say that anything else out there isn't comic books. But in my brain, the goal is for it to look as close as possible to Marvel or DC. Like that, like in my brain, it's like, I would like my books to look this certain way because that's the thing I grew up reading. And just getting to know Keith and his process and what he likes to do and what books he likes specifically is so far away than what I see as the perfect comic book. Like, it's just a completely different style. Keith Keith does like Marvel. He likes Fantastic Four. He likes books that I don't like specifically from Marvel, which is cool because it's it's one of those things. It's a generational thing. Keith is the Fantastic Four generation. I'm the X-Men generation. My writer, Ed, is uh, Fantastic Four, but mostly like Luke Cage, Daredevil, Iron Fist. That's his realm. So it's nice to get to know these guys that just like different parts of the Marvel Universe that I wasn't interested in. But that doesn't mean, for for Keith specifically, it's not limited to that. He likes so many other things. One of his favorite comic books is an indie comic book. It's an infinite kung fu. It has It's nowhere close to being that perfect, polished thing that you would expect out of Marvel and DC. It's just completely different. And then so, like, just seeing how Keith does his books and, and knowing that he has a completely different process than the way I do it is interesting in itself. And it makes me change the way I look at comic books as a whole. You know, again, not not putting those other style comic books in any other position that they don't deserve to be in. But for me in my brain, you know, the big two style, and then later on in my teenage years, X-Men or um, Image Comics, those were like the top of the top. And that's what your books are supposed to look like. And it's like when when certain books would come out, even from Image, that I didn't, see in the mold of what image initially was, it would bother me. I'm like, why is this here? This doesn't belong here. And, and like just meeting other creators and seeing how they do things, seeing how Keith does things specifically, um, really changed how I think about comic books and what the perfect comic book is, because it's not, not a one, a perfect comic to me isn't necessarily a perfect comic to you, Gary, or to Keith. And, you know, so it's just interesting to see other people's perspectives in that sense. It's just like really changes how I view comics overall. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because as you were, I'm so glad Scott went first. I am just so glad that Scott <laughs> went first because it gave me time to clear my mind a little bit. And, uh, oh, fuck no, that guy sucks. Yeah, it's it's that you were talking and I was, I was hearing what you were saying, but I sort of wasn't. So I look forward to actually registering it when I listen back to the audio. I'm busy thinking about the thing and I was happy because sure enough, I hooked into it. Real quick, you know, before you jump into it, you know, sometimes when, when this exact situation is on the other foot, I listen to what you say so I could just play off of it. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what the fuck to say. Let me hear hey, what he says. Yeah, I'm like, just... fucking double Dutch, man. I'm trying to hop in there. <laughs> I'm just going to build off what you're saying. You, you get my drift? Um, no, so I think what, what Scott has really done, it, 
on an, on a big level is given me an understanding and an empathy on what it's like to be an artist drawing a comic. And as a writer, that is super interesting. And it, it's changed the way I write, you know, like I had an easy example pop into my head because something that Scott talks about is for a lot of pages or a lot of spreads, when you have multiple panels, you have this idea of like the establishing shot, you know, where you're heavy on the detail, you're heavy on the background, you're, you're, you're really spending a lot of energy on the first panel that someone is seeing to establish the scene. And then after that, it can be close-ups, it can be speed lines, it can be one color, blank backgrounds, whatever it is, as you get into the story. So while I'm not going to say I write every single page of every single comic like that, what it does is it adds a tool to my toolbox. And now I'm able to be like, ah, that's why the visual element of comics is what it is. And that's just one example that jumps to my head of the many that I get when I'm just listening to him talk about his process in drawing comics. And, of course, Scott's process isn't just his process. It's informed by how he learned comics. It's informed by all the artists he talks to. The dude's an avid, like, podcast listener and video watcher. So it's synthesizing all this information that he's gathering from artists. And it's it's very helpful. It's very, you know, it, it makes you feel a little bit more well-rounded uh, as a writer so you're not just banging out writer shit without any regard for how the artist might interpret it or how the artist might do it. So I would definitely make the case that my writing has gotten better in terms of being more um, translatable to visuals, more translatable by artists, and more artist-ready by working with Scott over these first 100 episodes for sure. Yeah, the, the cool thing about that is it really helps you understand the process of collaboration, even more so. Like, you know, you already knew how to do it, but the more you hear me talk and the more I hear you talk, the more you get this grasp of, okay, so I see what they have to do in order to get their work done. This is what I have to do. And that's honestly part of my my comics journey that I've been going on since, you know, like honestly since uh, Drawtober started just thinking about making comic books in a different way. It's like, oh, can I just get this done in 30 days? And it, it changes it changes the way how you look at things because you're like, okay, well, if I do this and this, this, this will actually get done on time. And, um, you know, changing how you can create comic books, um, I'm, I'm trying to, I'm really trying to hang on to the thread here because this alcohol is really kicking in. <laughs> now might be a great time to mention I can't feel my nose. This is all part of the master plan. All it's part working of the master great. Plan. It's working great. No, but yeah, since 2020, I would really, I, I could really say that the collaborative process of making comics and like taking all the elements of putting a book together, I am in the zone as far as making that one thing. Like, so if you saw my 2021 Drawtober, the, the latest thing that I'm really incorporating into the art is the lettering. The special effects, the sound effects, not necessarily the word balloons. That's maybe that's the next step. I don't know. I don't know if I'll get to the point where I want to do those before I even do the art. But part of the process that I was not thinking about before that I am now just um, 
you know, talking to Keith every single week and like really having to do the homework, really having to study and try to figure out how can we talk about this differently than we did the week before? What can I do? And that changed how I was dealing with my lettering process. It's like, okay, well, I'm hiring this out. Um, okay, this guy is not giving me exactly what I need or he is like in certain cases and certain cases not. And then I'm having to draw him examples of what I want. And then after a while, I'm like, why don't I just draw them all the time? You know, I know how to do basic lettering. I know how to get certain fonts that look cool and I can, you know, put them um, to use in the way that I need them to, to really incorporate them into the art. And really my, you know, second shift uh, issue, tw- um, yeah, 12, 12. If you, if you have issue 12, look through that book, the lettering is incorporated into the art. It is one. It is one piece. It is not separate. So, um, you know, just thinking about comics differently um, and talking to Keith every every week has definitely helped in that sense. I have two things. One, I don't think I should move my head too much <laughs> back and forth. And two, it's it's kind of a it's it's just a, a question. Do airplanes? cruise at 50,000 feet because that is the altitude I feel that I'm at. <laughs> That's a good trivia question for the audience to Google. 50,000 feet is definitely not technically space. You know, like, I think, what's that? Like, I don't think it is. Like, some, some other fuckers paid, like, $7 million so they could go 90,000 feet above the Earth, which is space technically, even though it's not fucking cool space or anything. But anyway, if I, I had money to burn like those dudes, I would have done it too, for sure. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. Maybe actually, wait, no, no. Let me take that back. Not for sure. Um, I don't even want to do like parachuting or anything like that. So I wouldn't say for sure, um, but maybe that might be something I could get talked into. It would certainly be one of the options if you have a pile of money. If you were like Scrooge McDuck swimming through your gold coin pool. That's that's definitely a, a legit option. Well, like, why if if I have the choice, I have two fucking choices, right? I can go to space technically, which is like a bullshit space thing, or I could get like Metallica to play a personal fucking set for me in my house. Uh, why would I not have Metallica play a set for me in my fucking house? There you go, there you Keith. Go. But you're thinking about this all wrong. Why would you only do one of those things? Why not both? <laughs> why not both? When you're Jeff Bezos, you have more money yeah. than God. Fucking do both, man. Have Metallica. Fly Metallica. Fly up there with you. In space. Yeah. yeah in space. Have them play. Space concert. Space. Yeah, they play the fucking concert in Antarctica. Dude, how perfect is that? You're in outer space, and they're like, darkness, imprisoning me. Oh, oh, yeah. nice. <laughs> Actually, oh God, that'd be so good. And so, then you all die. <laughs> and then you, you all die. But it, what a way to go out. What a way to go out. You're imprisoned in, in darkness, correct. Good job, Metallica. You called it. I lived it. I fucking lived it. And that was it. And then it was over. <laughs> it was just your decision. It, like, you just opened the door. You're like, it doesn't get better than this. We're going to end on that note. And you yeah. just get sucked out into the vacuum space. It's my choice. I'm going to walk out in the airlock. <laughs> <laughs> This is this is all part of Gary's master plan, apparently. So this is well, this is where seventeen percent will take you, I guess. So every creator, everyone, every artist you can think of has some kind of idea or theme or mood or something that is just a through line through all their work. I'm, I want to ask you to consider each other's body of works right now, and say what is the thing that Keith? What is the thing that you say would say is quintessentially Scott? 
in his creative work and vice versa. Scott, when you look at Keith's work, what is something that's just uniquely Keith that that, that makes it a Keith piece of art? When I think of Scott's stuff, the word is family. Because when I, when I read Second Ship. Did you watch Fast and the Furious before this? <laughs> I have only seen one Fast and Furious movie. The first I've seen two. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, so you, you did basically what I did. Like, I missed the second one, and then it's like the third one's some shit called Tokyo Drift, and we're all like, what the fuck is that? And then, and then the next thing you know, there's like an eighth movie, and they're like driving cars out of spaceships and shit. I saw the like, first one, and then I think I saw the fourth one. Yeah. Or I saw the one where the guy from Tokyo Drift was back. Yeah. And like Gal Gadot was in it too. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think she's in a few of the other ones as well. Um, but they were a couple in that. And I was like, hell yeah, taking one back. Good job, Asian guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so what I think of is I think of family. Second shift is a, it's, it's, it's family. It's dysfunctional family. It, it's more family than X-Men. You know, I know Scott's mentioned at at infinitum, right? He's a huge X Men fan. You know, this is you know known to all listeners of the podcast, and so Second Shift has a very strong family vibe. Um, Wanderers Melisanda also very strong family vibe, right? Like it is an it is an overture to his goddaughter, and it is an overture to the strength of a family, however small, in the face of adversity. So, I mean, with me, and, and I, I did text Scott through the week that I finally, finally caught up on Wanderers Melisanda. I, I loved it to death. I think I mentioned that actually last week. And, um, yeah, man, just just really, really fun, really fresh. And uh, that's, that's the through line I see with Scott. You know, like I know him well enough to know that family comes first, and that rings so true through all of his books that uh yeah man it's 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 a really really clean line to me oh thanks man i appreciate that i was wondering what you were gonna say (laughs) i was just like oh i wonder what it is um with keith it's influence so it's uh cool shit that keith likes those are the books that keith does keith loves godzilla huge godzilla fan keith loves loves kung fu huge huge kung fu fan so we have kadoja Okay, it's giant monsters. We have um, three protectors, kung fu in space. What's not to love about those books? So that's something that I know about Keith specifically. When he gets into something, he gets into it. He has this, like, he he zones in on something. I can mention something once. I can go, dude, this thing was really cool. Um, it's a bit of an older series or whatever, and, and this is what, what what's going on with it, whatever. He's like, yeah, I'm looking it up right now. And before I know it, if it sounds like something he's into, he's purchased it by the next time I talk to him. So he likes to really focus in on his joys. So when I read Keith's books, the, the through line I would say for his is joy, his personal joy. Whatever he is into, that's what he's going to give you. And honestly, that's what translates to return readers. If you can give a reader something that you enjoy, that you love to do, and you can execute that, and and they read that and they can feel it. They can feel it when you read those books. And so I think reading Keith's books and knowing Keith as well as I do, that's the through line that I get with, with him. You know what's great? I, what I love about your guys' answers is it makes me feel like I do have some sense of your guys' work as well. Because I, in my notes, I wrote down, in the, in the off chance that you guys wanted to turn the screws on me and say, well, what do you think? Like, I wrote down some quick answers, and for one word each, Scott, I have wrote family, 
Oh, and wow. for Keith, I wrote, um, uh, it's Tarantino-esque in the sense that uh, when I think of, like, the Kill Bill movies where they were this this collage of his favorite things about movies. You know, he had kung fu movies in there and gangster movies in there. He referenced Bruce Lee's tracksuit. Like, you know, he just put in all the stuff he loves. I get that a little bit from Keith's work, too. There's this enthusiast-infused thread line for all of it. Also, like, a Lovecraftian thing, which probably would be in the same boat. But So I feel I feel a little validated. Oh, we, we both nailed it, as did Jerry. I yeah, liked it. Yeah. yeah, man. Oh, yeah. Fucking horns all around. Look at us. Look at us. So, uh, what do you think, if for the people out there who are fans of yours listening to this podcast once a week, if there is one lesson they can take away by your individual examples, your creative journeys, what do you think it is? What do you think is the biggest lesson someone can take away by looking at what you've done? I think Scott and I might have the same answer. I'll let you go first, actually, then. Just work. Just work. Right? Like, but, you know, like, look, I'm saying work, okay? It's not work if you enjoy it. Like, like, is, is writing a novel work? Of course it is. Has it taken me almost five years of my life? Of course it has. Do I love every minute of it? You're goddamn right. You know, even the parts where I was ramming my head against a wall going, why the fuck am I ramming my head against a wall, right? Like, it's it's creative stuff. Like, it's, to me, it's it's living, you know? Like, I've been the kind of person that from a young age, I've always just wanted to make stuff and do stuff and, and all that. So when I say just work, that's that's it, you know? Like, if there's one thing that someone can take away, just keep going, you know, that's, that that's embodied in thousands of memes and thousands of speeches and thousands of things from creators that have made it, you know, that are, that are actually paying every single one of their bills on from creating, right? Like just keep going, just keep working. You're going to get better. You're going to love it more. If you don't love it already, trust me, there's, you know, like for people out there that are just picking up, pen, pencil, digital pen, whatever, and you're like, I don't like this, okay, it's not good enough, just keep going. It's going to get good because the learning curve has this amazing sweet spot that pretty much carries you, once you get past that frustrated beginning, once you get on that learning curve, it's going to carry you for the rest of the way, and you're going to get so much joy from your own improvement and from continuing on this process, and the one through line of all of it is just staying with it. Yeah, you said something there. Um, fuck, this alcohol is strong. Um, <laughs> you have yeah, your match. I gotta like start writing this shit down. Jeez <laughs> Louise. Um, I agree with all of that. Uh, definitely staying with it. Oh, that's what it was. As far as like the initial part where you're, where it's frustrating. Because it's hard to do, it's new, you're trying to figure things out. So the, that is an important part to stick with. Because once you get past that, everything gets oh so good. It's, it's those first few days, or those first few, first few pages, I should say, that really, really stick home with what you had just said. Because I remember getting so frustrated. I'm like, oh my God, I'm, okay, I did one page, how many more? Okay, I have 23 more of these things to do you know, with the very first issue that I did. 
And, you know, you'll go through those pages that are a little more difficult than the others. That was before I developed the Slack method. So, and, and that was going to be like, number one, Keith is right. If you take one thing away from this podcast, it's work. You know, Keith and I were workhorses. We make sure that we have our deadlines and we hit them. We take them very serious, very seriously. They're self-imposed deadlines, but they mean something. You know, like the, the one thing that you have to do when you're creating comic books is keep yourself accountable. If you don't keep yourself accountable, then you're not going to get anything done. It's just not going to happen because you're going to find other things that you would rather do instead. You'd rather go out with, hang out with your friends, go watch a movie or something, and not to say that you can't do those things, but you have to make sure you're finding balance to your life to get these books in um, when you can. And so it's really to carve out that time every week, no matter how much or how little it is. You have to make sure you're dedicating yourself to your craft and putting your best foot forward as far as that stuff goes. Yeah, I would just like to take a minute here <clears throat> to mention that this Zoom is probably never going to make its way like public, but a couple of amazing things, things happened in the last minute 30. Number one, actually a third one, because Scott just made like a pucker drunk face because he's he's continuing to swig this fucking unspeakable beer. Like, I've been sipping it, but Scott has just, like, chugged it for 10 minutes. Or I don't believe in sipping. You chugged it for 30 seconds, let it sit for, like, 45 minutes, and have now chugged it again, <laughs> right? But the best part, number number best part number one, is that while Scott was talking, he somehow figured out a way to thumbs up his own conversations using a hand that I can't figure out. So, like, in Zoom, you know, you can give a reaction of a thumbs up. While Scott, yeah, you didn't realize this, Scott, did you? You actually thumbs up your own shit. I did. <laughs> yes, it was amazing, right? And then the other what thing the is that this, the audio will prove this out, that Gary's cat really wants a piece of what is going on here because the cat, I, I think the cat had a question for us. Is that it, Gary? Or, or well, I, it looks like this week is from four different perspectives. Yeah, <laughs> for those listening, uh, my retired alley cat Louie uh, heard all this talking. I assumed I must be talking to him, so he strutted in and just started yelling. But so I apologize. But King Louie over that. here with the bare necessities. I would That's like to, I would like to ask Gary this. You know, like so for you, if there's one thing. Let's let's turn the tables on you for at least this one. If there's oh, one no. you can impart on other creators, what would that one thing be? Fifteen minutes after we wrap this, I'm going to wish I said something else. But the one that comes to mind, and it is advice I've given a lot. It's a it's a it's a message I've put out a lot in my videos and, and other interviews I've done. If you're waiting for some perfect set of circumstances to start your thing. Like, I, I need to get a little bit better at drawing. I need to get better at writing. I need work to lit up a little bit. Once I move, once I do this, it's, it's, it's never going to happen. Start today. Stop it. Stop it. Start today. You know, it's, there is no magical moment on the horizon where the clouds are going to part and all of life is going to calm down and you're going to be bored with nothing to do and now seems like a good time to start. Finally pick up that art project you've been putting off forever. You just got to make the time. It's like anything else in life, whether it's working out or eating better or learning a new skill or learning a language. You just have to make up your mind to do it. Makes sense. That's also the adage for having kids. I love it, man. Get in there, do stuff, make mistakes. That's the best way to learn. And the other thing is, you know, every other thing in life, to learn how to do it, you do it. 
Like, how did you learn how to drive? You sat in a parking lot with your dad or something, and you clumsily, like, you know, you idled into a spot, and you made, made little turns, and, you know, that's it. You learn, how do you learn to drive? By driving. How do you learn how to do a comic? By making a comic. How do you learn how to write a novel? By writing a novel, you know? And once you free yourself with this need for perfectionism, which is a curse, you can actually now start to learn this thing and get better and better, and you can actually have a really good, fulfilling journey. Yeah, um, I have a buddy who, not that he hadn't started his book, um, but to finally get the book out, it took years. And the issue that he was running into that I saw and I told him to stop was, he would keep looking at old panels and then redrawing them. Now, this is what, this is what he's told me. I, I don't know if that is actually the case. I'm going to take him at his word. So he would say, yeah, you know, I was almost done, but then I, you know, I look back at these old pages and, you know, it didn't reflect my work now, so I went back and I redid them. And you can get stuck in this hamster wheel very easily. If this is something that is actually happening to you, I do not suggest you do it. The The best way... I can't remember which creator this is, um, but something one of my friends had told me, he read an article on this creator, and he said, if anyone ever saw a panel and they didn't like it, or I saw it myself later on, and I thought, hey, that's not up to par with what I'm doing now, what I told myself was, I'll do better next issue. And the next issue is the one where he made the correction. He didn't go back and correct that old panel that he drew. He moved forward, he finished the issue like he was supposed to, and in the next issue he made sure he didn't make that mistake again. And honestly, that's that's just how certain people look at making comic books. They have this thing that they want it to be completely perfect, and they get stuck in in this quicksand that is redrawing old panels. You'll never finish this issue if you keep doing that. I look back at Second Shift 1 and 2, there's many a panels there that I want to do, many a page that I want to redo. But I'm on issue 13 now. I wouldn't have got to 13 if all I did was look back at these old panels and wanted to correct them. That's not way, that's no way to create comic books. You're not going to get these books out if you keep doing that thing. You have to move forward. You have to complete that issue, move on to the next issue, and then move on to the next issue, then move on to the next issue. So if you have an opportunity later on in life, like maybe you're doing that remastered, a uh, hard edition, a hardcover, like I'm going to do. That's when I'm going to go back and I'm going to adjust those things. But I made sure to put the work in first to make sure that I knew what I was doing. With every single issue that you put out, you were learning with that issue. And then the next issue, you're better than you were the issue before. Hopefully, more than likely, that is the case. So you just have to make sure you're willing to learn, so w- willingness to look back at your old work and see that, yes, it does need to be improved, but the, also the willingness to put it out in the world and just have it be there, have people see it, have people's eyes on it, and they get to decide if what you're doing is good enough for them to buy the next issue. And hopefully it is, and then with that next issue, you have improved. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and... While Scott and I have had conversations on this about, like, the level of remastering you want to do when you're doing these master editions, there is some degree to that that you definitely want to do, right? If there's, like, an egregious mistake, you're just like, this drives me fucking nuts. Go crazy. But, you know, like, look, Eastman and Laird could go back and redo issue one of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. 
That doesn't mean they should go back and redo issue one of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. Metallica could go re-record the guitars to kill them all, and I'm sure it would sound better, but it's fucking kill them all. It's, it's their first record. Like, it, it's, it stands on its own. And this is the kind of thing you do when you move through time with your stuff. You know, like, as Scott was saying that, I reached. So, by the way, fun thing for creators. I highly recommend you to have copies of everything you've ever done within arm's reach of where you do your work. Number one, because if it's a long-running story, you're going to need to consult this shit way more than you think you're going to need to consult it. You're going to be like, what the fuck was that in the second volume again that I did? And then you do it, right? Kadoja's only 15 issues in, and I do this all the time. I pulled out Kadoja Volume 2, which I've been shaking for the last 30 seconds. I picked a random <laughs> page, and there was a goddamn line of dialogue that I could change right now, if not two lines of dialogue that I could change right now. But I'm not going to change them. They exist in the form that they exist in. They're the guitars on Kill Em All. I'm fine with them, you know. And and that's the kind of thing that you should do, and you just continue your own creative journey. Again, that's something, you know, that, that wouldn't be the one thing we talk about. But as I was talking just now, Scott and Gary were both nodding their heads because this is the creative journey. That's a snapshot of where I was on my creative journey when I did that issue at Kadoja, and that's fun. It's fun to look back at, and it can be just as fun for you as you continue on your own creative journey. Yeah. You know, he, um, the, uh, let me jump in there real quick, Gary. And, like, so so the place, like, look, me and Keith, we are simpatico when it comes to a lot of those things. We're slightly different when it comes to this. So it just just like he said, that, that trade paperback that he was waving around like he was Hitler on meth, he, <laughs> it, it was, uh, Hitler, it was a known meth addict, was known to wave trade paperbacks around. <laughs> yes. I was actually watching a, a Joe Rogan clip. It was a short where he was talking about Hitler, and it had the video that he was talking about. It was like Hitler at the Olympics, watching the Olympics, and he was fucking on some smack, yo. He was, like, oh, jittery, yeah. and, and, and I was just like, this is a trip. I have never seen a video of Hitler this close. And he is clearly on drugs. It I was wish, so wild. I wish, I wish this was like a wildly popular, like millions listener podcast, so someone could just edit in Kadoja Volume Two into Hitler's hand, and he was. <laughs> <laughs> but um, um, so this is where me and Keith slightly disagree, or just our opinions are different—not disagree, but our opinions are just different. So where where he is correct, that trade paperback is a snapshot in time of what he wrote in Kadoja Volume Two. So Second ship trade paperback volume one. It's a snapshot in time of how I drew, how Ed wrote at that time, how we collaborated. Like that's what the trade paperback is. But then for me, the hardcover, it's going to be the complete story of how I see that story now and how I've always wanted to see it. It's just I have a better microscope than I used to have. You know, when I first started this things, I had my, my, my shit microscope out. I got for $2 or something and I'm looking over what I want to do. And I have the skeleton that I created and me and Ed, we tried our best and we did something that I truly do enjoy, but there's a lot of things there that are like, yeah, this is comic book making year one, this is comic book one one that I failed a lot of the classes now, or maybe I skated by, I got some D's. So, but now I'm an A student, you know, in my mind at least. Like Scott today 
is a better artist than Scott when he first started this. So when I look back at my older work, I'm like, God, I let, I know how to solve all these problems now. Let me put the correct answer down. And, but that's what I'm going to do with my hardcover when I finally do the remastering. Now the trade paperbacks will always stay the same. It will be a snapshot in time of what I drew, what Ed wrote at that time. But moving forward, if someone does discover the series, I want to like hand them the hardcover and go, this is what I truly intended the series to be, but I just didn't have the tools to do it at that time. I have more tools in my bag now. I can give, give you a better story. I can give you better art. You know, Ed can write a more in-depth uh, character, you know, monologue or something like that. You know, it's just where we are skill-wise has improved so much that I want that to reflect the story moving forward and overall. So, but that's where you would get that. If you want the journey, then you hopefully you have the the single issues because you get to see everything that we had as far as back matter goes, or you have the trade paperbacks, which is exactly how they were released in the single issues. You're just not getting that extra stuff. Um, so if those are the things that you want to see, if you want to see the growth, then you're going to pick up those single issues. You're going to pick up those trade paperbacks because that's what those reflect. Yeah, I I, I do see. Or, no, both. Go ahead. Yeah. I, I I see both. I mean, I really I. I'm not even being diplomatic. I see both. I see the appeal and the value of putting out your vision at the highest possible level, your highest level today. And also, I think there is something beautiful about being vulnerable enough to show the growth, to show the gap. Like, yeah, this is where I started out. This is where I am today. And like that, that's a part of the art too, is showing that shift. I think it probably is the difference between is the art something in your head that you want as fully realized as possible, or is the art something that you're inviting an audience in to participate with you in the creation of? Do you know what I mean? Like it's something yeah, where the, the reality, the nuts and bolts of it, like. And, and I think that's the difference between the two. So the, where you want the nuts and bolts, you want, you want to be vulnerable. You want to show the growth. You want people to be on the journey with you. That's 100% what the trade paperbacks are for. And look, if you guys follow my single issues, you know, I'm a cake and eat it two guy. I have one shot or two, one of two, two of two in that upper left hand corner where your, your serialized number is supposed to be. But if you look in any one of those other quarters, you have the serialized number as well. I'm, I'm a have your cake and eat them too kind of guy. I'll sell those single, single trades or, you know, the, 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 you know, trades collect, you know, volume one, volume two. I'm going to sell those because if you do want to see the journey, that's going to be there for you. But if you want to see the fully envisioned idea of the story, you're going to pick up the hardcover because you want to see where I really wanted the story to be initially and moving forward. Yeah. So I, I have two, two points. The first point is I think what you're seeing here on some level is the fundamental difference between someone who can redraw their panels and someone who cannot. <laughs> yeah. Scott can redraw his shit. I cannot. And I, I have at the moment, Five artistic teams that will make up my Kadoja omnibus, right? So for me, it's, it's going to be about dialogue and lettering. Those are the things that I can work on and those are the things I'm going to work on and those are the things I'm going to make decisions on. 
I don't know how much dialogue I want to change. I know I want to fix things like egregious punctuation errors, but maybe not much more than that. But again, I can't redraw panels and Scott can. So I totally get where he's coming from. That's thing number one. Thing number two. I'm not going to say the room is spinning. <laughs> but I'm not going to say it's not spinning either. Does that make sense? Like, no, that's that's interesting because my room is swaying. Yeah, yeah. It's it's, it's like it's, it's like it's like anti gravity, right? <laughs> so sorry, Gary. Do you have any more questions? We took like 35 minutes. On no, I, I have I have just a couple more, but they shouldn't be as long as some of these big ones now, because I imagined the alcohol would start really go, getting through your oh, body. What was, what was that question again? That must what have was, been 30 minutes. What was the thing that I just yeah, answered? I think that the, the, we started with uh, boy, where were we? Uh, like, what's the biggest lesson you think someone could learn from your example? <laughs> oh, um, for me specifically, besides the work, um, it's the Slack method. I think I really, yeah, I think for me individually, the individual thing beyond us working, being workhorses, Keith and I, um, the thing that I think people would take away the most from me from this podcast beyond all of the little tidbits that I've gathered over the years from other artists, um, working professionals and whatnot, um, would be the Slack method. I think it is a tried and true method of creating comic books to the maximum amount of time that you're allowed. If you're someone that is on a limited time frame and needs to get the most work done possible, I think the Slack method is the best method for you. Um, and, and honestly, I think that applies to if you're a full-time creator and you can work all day long, I just think it's a better way to work. Always work on something that you want to work on. Therefore, you're going to work on it faster than you would something that you do not want to work on. That's something that you'll be doing a lot slower because your interest isn't as there, uh, isn't as there as much as, you know, drawing something that you are interested in. Um, but that's me personally. So I think, that, yeah, if, if it was one thing that I had to pick out for individual, uh, things that people would have learned from this podcast, it's that. Yeah, and by the way, I wrote these to be big discussion questions. So, so the the free ranging answers is exactly what I hoped for. I mean, don't that's 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 the, that's exactly again part of the design along with the seventeen percent. We're not just oh. all over the place, motherfuckers. We're going into space. <laughs> that's right. That's um, right. <laughs> like, like here's the fucked up part. Now that the 17.3 is done, 17.3 to 22%. I'm thinking I got a 22 personally, but <laughs> I might be at 19. But the, here's the fucked up thing. When I get about 19% of uh, amount of booze in me, I want more booze. Yeah. So like I really want to go grab like like a fucking Coors Light or a Banquet or something and just have like a nice little light beer to just like take the rest of the episode, you know. It'll what I mean? taste like water now, and not only exactly. That, exactly. Tell, tell me if I'm wrong. The first few sips hit hard, but as you get to drinking it, it goes down easier and easier, which is a little terrifying. Yeah, it did. Uh, it goes get that hard because I'm. But again, this is my thing. I love bourbon barrel aged stouts, so this yeah. is right in my wheelhouse. Yeah. Also, this is punk like, on someone. This is not like, my wheelhouse. Like, <laughs> And so it was, it was like you described, like it was really rough initially. And then it started to go down a little bit. So by the end, you saw me, I pounded the rest of that. Yeah. But it was a couple more gulps 
yeah. than I needed it to be. Right? I think, I think it was two more. I don't think you're done. Yeah. I think if it was two more gulps less, I wouldn't have had the face. I think I would have been fine. Yeah. But then it was just like, oh, shit, there's still more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, the fucking 17% beer. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. In the great silence of the lambs, Hannibal Lecter <laughs> asks, what need Buffalo Bill serves by killing? So I want to ask you guys a version of that. What need are you serving with your work? Why do you have to do it? Why are you doing it? Why do you need to write? Why do you need to tell stories in comics? This reminds me. Okay, so this is this is two podcasts in a row where I am just dipping my toe in other parts of the world and bring it into here to you guys, giving you guys wisdom that you guys desperately need. So I was recently watching House of Dragon, which is the um, prequel to Game of Thrones. The hope is that it ends better than Game of Thrones. Um, one of the characters... They, he was talking about he married he married a Targaryen who was potentially supposed to be on the throne, but her cousin got the throne instead of her. Okay, so her husband, this is a point of contention for him. He always likes to bring up how she was supposed to be the queen and he was supposed to be the king. Now. As the show goes on, stuff happens. I'm not going to say because you, if you guys are watching. But one of the lines that he said that I had to write down was, what is this brief human life but not a pursuit of legacy? So for me, that's what creating comics, creating anything is. You are doing something in the pursuit of legacy. So I want to leave this world with people going, man, you remember Scott? Remember Scott Loss? He did this. He did that. He was a pro wrestler. He influenced this generation of wrestlers. He was really underrated. He didn't he didn't make it to the big time like he wanted to, but, man, he made a name for himself. As far as comic books go, I want the same thing. I want, well, no, I don't want the same thing. Let me, let me pull that back a little bit. I want, to hit, I want to hit the big time. I want to be able to get published by a publisher that has worldwide reach, and get my books out into the world and have people read them, to look at them, admire them, and become fans of these properties because I believe in them. I wouldn't do anything unless I believed in what I was doing. So when I was wrestling, I believed I knew what I was doing and I thought I was good at it. For comics, I want to believe that I know what I'm doing and that I'm good at it. So I want to create these books. I want people to read them and go, this was worth reading. This was worth my time. This was worth my money. It was worth all of those things, and I'm glad I read it, and I'm going to read the next issue. So it is the pursuit of legacy to leave something lasting for people out there who I do not know to go, hey, have you ever read this book by this one creator and, you know, this writer and this artist? And, and um, you know, just talk about it and have that expand and spread and be what I want it to be, which is have a global reach, have something that people admire and potentially inspire. So whether we're doing that through the book specifically or this podcast with dropping knowledge, information that we've learned and picked up over the years by doing what we're doing, reading articles, watching videos, you know, anything along the sort, listening to podcasts, you know, my hope is that I am going to leave a legacy for someone to go, hey, do you remember that guy? His work was really good. 
So, Gary, let me just make sure. Is that the question is what, 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 like, why do we do it or why do we want others to, like, do it? I, I just want to make sure I understand. No, why, why do you do it? What why is do your I, motivation? What are, I, okay, I just want to make sure. So, for, for me, the answer is pretty easy, man. I can't not do it. I just fucking can't. Like, I like making stuff. I like making stories. I like making music. I am, I am just, I, look, I don't know. I, I don't know how this combination of DNA and flesh and bone became the kind of person that can't listen to something or read something or absorb something of a certain type, right? And then, like, and not want to make their own version of it. So that's me. Like, I, I just, I just have to do it. I, I, I don't know what I would do if I didn't. I suppose I might sit around and watch TV. That's not, that's not what I do. You know what I mean? Like, I, I make stuff. I, and it's, again, it's, it's not just that I make stuff. It's like I fucking have to do it. I, I can't explain it any other way. It's like the, the number one reason I do it is it's just, it's sort of who I am. And I like sharing stories. And I like sharing music. I mean, again, Big Pimp Jones had its moments way back in the day. We're on Spotify right now. You can listen to them. I get our listener stats every month. They're not too bad, you know. But it's but Big Pimp Jones just came from, like, I don't see this cool thing enough in the world. I should contribute to this cool thing, you know. And that's that's why I do the comics I do. That's why I'm doing the novel I'm doing. It's why I'm doing all these things. It's just, like, there are these – there's this thing – and I have to do it, and I have to put it out in the world. And then when I put that out in the world, I'm going to put the next thing out because I have to do that. It's a weird just compulsion slash part of who I am. Oh, I can't, I just can't see, you know, hey, we only get one go around, and I can't see my go around going any other way than this. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like the idea of not doing something that I love doing seems nuts to me. And honestly, when um, when I was single, and I would go out on dates and I would always ask people, what do you like to do for fun? What do you do in your free time? And they would sit and they would think for a second and they would say, well, I love to travel. Traveling's great, but that's not what you do day to day. You're not traveling every single day of your life. What do you do with your time is what I want to know. And um, it's funny to go back to another show that I was watching. I was watching um, Only Murders in the Building. It's a great show. It's very cool. It's very easy to watch. And, um, it's uh, Selena Gomez, Steve Martin, and Martin Short. Um, it's very family-friendly, so if you have anyone in your family that's not into, like, violence and gore and stuff, you're pretty safe with this, or, you know, beyond what the title is. It's like murder mystery show. It's really fun. In this episode that I was watching, it's a flashback to Steve Martin's character when he's a little kid and he's with his dad. His dad wants to become an actor. And then he goes, son, sit on this bench, wait till I'm done. I have to go audition for my part. And remember, don't tell your mom that we're doing this. And he goes, why not? And he goes, because your mom's a dream killer, son. Your mom's a dream killer. <laughs> and he walked into the building and he disappeared for a couple of hours and turns out he was just sleeping with a girl. But what that line did made me laugh so, so much because I, there have been times where I've been pursuing my dreams and I've had people that have been less. Boy, boy, are you going to challenge my editing fucking superpowers on this one? 
Well, I know the exact Gary, where you're Gary, I'm going to edit this out, but like Gary, just when you listen back to this in a few weeks, you'll know if I managed to pull this off and you're going to be like, holy fuck. I know, I know exactly where you're going to cut it. You're going to cut it where I finish the synopsis of the episode and then I lose the thread. And then I find the thread. And there's that whole million. And just go right into it. So it'll be like you searched for a few seconds. I'm not going to edit out. You referring to. You're insane. (laughs) The last question. Are you ready? Look, you survived. You survived. 18%. Some difficult questions. Some thoughts. Yeah, we're here. Lots of stuff cut out. Lots of stuff. Lots of stuff. Keith is going to be editing this for four weeks. It's going to be. <laughs> Boy, howdy. <laughs> what an edit this is going to be. <laughs> 100 episodes making comics. Let's talk about the act of doing a thing again and again and again and again. The power of little movements persistently, cumulatively resulting in bigger thing, whether it's writing words on a page or drawing panels and eventually ending up with a comic or recording podcasts. Not only can you end up with a result that's bigger than the sum of its parts, it can transform you in the process. You can be changed. I know in the thick of drawing right now, drawing changes me. I know writing a novel has probably changed you, Keith. I know drawing comics has changed you, Scott. But doing the podcast, 100 episodes, is can you point to something, some way you've changed over these past two years from doing this like a metronome in your lives for two years? I mean, the things that I can point to just off the top of my head, and I can I can bounce off of whatever Keith says, um, number one is my well of knowledge has grown. Um, it is one of those things where when you start off, like, like one of my buddies – uh, back back when I was wrestling, he referred it was a uh, Daniel Bryan, Bryan Danielson, um, whatever he's going by these days. Um, he he was talking to me about wrestling. He said, "Imagine if everyone that does wrestling has a fishbowl for a head, and the amount of water you can put in there is the amount of knowledge you can take and consume and understand about whatever thing you're studying." Whatever the thing you're thinking about in this particular case, it was wrestling. Uh, uh, according to this podcast, it's comics. So imagine everyone has a fishbowl for a head. Now, you like us knowing some of the wrestlers in the locker room, we knew people had goldfish size heads. They're meatheads. They really didn't grasp what they were doing. They had a very small amount of knowledge that you can pour into that bowl for them to understand. Um, I think. When I started wrestling and comic books, my bowl was slightly more than normal. Not to say that it was big, but it was, I, I could grasp, grasp more than the a- average person. There were things that I was taking away from both of those things as I was reading them, as I was watching them, that I think other people were not taking away. Like to the point when I first started wrestling with my friends on the trampoline, um, you know, again, we, it was super safe. We were just doing moves. I would write matches. We would perform them. Um, the matches that I laid out as a fan, never once being trained how to wrestle, or understanding the the psychology of wrestling. I went back after I started training. I found the matches in the bag, and I was like, oh, shit, here's the matches. I, I still have them. And I read them, and I go, oh, fuck, these matches have psychology in them. 
they make sense. They make sense as far as how matches go. The layout of what I did made sense without knowing one thing about internally how things work. I just watched it enough that I was able to absorb it and I could reproduce it in my own way. Now, for comics, I think it's not as big initially. But I think over the years um, that we've been doing this, the first 100 episodes, I think my bowl, my fishbowl head, has grown. I think it was slightly bigger than normal. I think I was taking away things from comic books that maybe the standard comic book reader wasn't. But as I've been doing this, I've been gaining more and more knowledge, and that fishbowl has been growing. It's like, nope, we need a bigger tank. There's more information here, um, and, uh, yeah, we need to put more water in this tank, and we need to get that done soon because we might need a bigger one. So the hope for me specifically is that that bowl keeps growing. I keep learning more things, more and more. And this is one of those things, going back to what I was talking about before with students wanting to get out of school because they're tired of learning. They don't want to learn anymore. But then you have that one kid. It's just like, well, but I really loved this subject, and I would really love to more know, uh, know more about it. And I feel like me personally, that's where I am with comics, with art, with creating. Um, as time goes on, I think I am a lifelong learner. It's one of those things where I just want to know more and more about. And I think the first hundred episodes of this podcast has definitely helped. Yes, I mean, look, totally unrelated to Scott. I sort of see this like I view my head as like an aquarium. And it's about making the aquarium bigger. No, I'm just um, we, <laughs> and it's filled with barrel-aged stout. Barrel-aged stout aquarium, and there's some fighting fish in there that's just drunk as fuck. How much booze can I pour into this aquarium and kill these brain cells? <laughs> exactly, exactly. How many fish can I kill, and how quickly? The answer is all of them, quickly. All right, so for me, it's been... Look, despite... I'm not going to say all of Scott and I's jokes, okay, to the contrary. But let's just go with a good amount of jokes of Scott and I's jokes to the contrary. We do prepare for this podcast. We do think about the topics from this podcast. You know, we do focus on the craft elements of this podcast. And what I think is interesting, so I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be roundabout. When you go back over the 100 episodes, what you're going to see is an evolution, right? We did it a certain way for the first 20 episodes, and then we happened upon another way for a next chunk of episodes, and then another way for a next chunk of episodes. We found a thing we liked. We dialed into that. We moved away from it. We dialed into that. So the number one thing about the podcast cost, the podcast. Easy for you to say. It is it, though, right? Podcast. Yeah. If I use enough vowels, <laughs> I'll get the right one eventually. When we're doing this, we do, we do take the craft seriously. This isn't just two people bullshitting. And, and I've heard my share of podcasts that are two people bullshitting and you can tell that there's no structure there. You know, we have structure. We like having the structure, but Something Scott and I have talked about is that, like, we don't like being too slavish to the structure. You know, we don't we don't want to become the Emerald Lagasse show where where you just know the the same eight catchphrases every episode. Do we love repeating stuff for comedic effect? Of course we do, right? Do we, we love, love our catchphrases? Yes, we do. 
Of course we do, right? But we also try to vary them up because we don't want it to be the Rocky Horror Picture Show. You know what I'm saying? So in terms of the podcast itself, though, it's forced me to be that much more devoted to the craft because I know we have to come with a craft topic a lot. It's informed the way I think about my own process, and it's also informed the way I think about comics at large because I know that, you know, we want this podcast to rise above just being two dudes talking. Yes, it's two dudes talking. We know each other. We're boys. We can talk about a bunch of things, but we also take this seriously. We take it seriously like we take our comics. We know we like to have a good time. And we want to make sure that we're bringing stuff out that all the creators out there are vibing to and can be like, yeah, cool, man. I can't wait to tune in next week to see what new little thing they want to talk about here, you know. And so, you know, we do think about that. I do obsess on that, on making sure that every episode has something unique to it. And as a result, it's made me a lot smarter in terms of making my own comics and in terms of just thinking about comics because you need to step outside yourself a little bit and just be more worldly about comics and the comic making process. You guys made it. You made it. World's best cup of coffee. Thank you for letting me take over the show. And now we can talk about how fucking awesome Andor is. Why don't we talk about that? Dude, I haven't seen it yet. So good. I, I, for my taste, the best Star Wars thing I've seen in a long time. Nice. Do you like it better than uh, Mandalorian, the first season? I think so. Yeah. Okay. It's okay. more. It's more. I I don't want to say better. It's it's what I want from a Star Wars thing. Yeah. Okay. I'm only three episodes in, and I really enjoy it. But I enjoy it in the way that I enjoyed um, Nope, right? The the uh, movie, which I haven't seen yet. Okay. I have not seen either. Without giving away anything. What I like about Nope is that it's a throwback in terms of pacing. You know, if you go back and look, uh, Peel gets compared to Hitchcock a lot. And I think one of the reasons he gets compared to Hitchcock is because of this old school pacing that a lot of his movies have. They're not this hyper warp thing that so many modern movies are. They take their time. Nope takes its time. And that's what I enjoyed about it. You know, I didn't, I didn't walk away from it going like, wow, you know, this is a, this is an amazing, 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 amazing movie. I can't wait to tell people about it, but I walked away going, Hey, this is a really good fucking movie. And I liked it a bunch and it's just solid. And it, it's, it takes its time, you know, and that's what I liked about the first three episodes of, of Andor. And again, I'm too behind, but I'm assuming it'll follow the same thing. It takes its time, man. It's not afraid to slow down the pacing. Yeah. And uh, that's something that I don't think we see enough in 2022 when things just seem obsessed with fast pacing and gorging and binging and all that stuff. It's like, hey, to quote the SOS band, you take your time. You do it right. Right? <laughs> you know you ought to slow down. You've been working too hard. And that's a fact. Is um is this a prequel to Rogue One? Is that right? It is. Yes. Okay. Okay. I believe it's supposed to lead into the exact moment that Rogue One starts. So it would oh, basically okay. create its own trilogy of Andor, Rogue One, and then New Hope. I think that's the way it's supposed to work. Is that right, awesome. Gary? 
Uh, I, something, yeah, I think, well, I think they're going to do two seasons. I think the second season oh. will lead up, will butt up to Rogue One. But it's basically, yeah, it's very much on the ground, gritty level of the start of the rebellion. Nice. Okay. So, and how that really started to come together, mostly focusing on Andor. And I, yeah, I'm loving it. I think it, and I think it just, just on a very superficial level, but you know, when you're approaching Star Wars, that's the way to approach it. Just looks good. Like, I just love the look of it, and I love the, the kind of brutalist, ugly, dirty look of, I mean, you really get the impression of there's been this totalitarian government that's been in place for a little while, and everyone's getting squeezed. And everyone, you know, it just it's not looking like a great place or era to live, and that's, that's kind of what you want. It's what I like a lot about um, Rogue One. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's I, I'm with you, Gary. But sometimes these conversations are short because it's like, can we just all talk about how awesome this thing is? And then everybody goes, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> There's nothing to talk about. <laughs> no. Do you guys got any other bullshit to bring? Have you guys bought anything recently? Gary, I know you bought something recently. We talked I about am it. waiting. This Saturday, apparently, my box set of Akira is going to show up. The, the yeah. graphic novel collection. Yeah. And, and you brought up something earlier that um, connects with that. You talked about how am I going to do billowing smoke? Yes. Look through Akira, because there is quite a bit of billowing smoke throughout those volumes. Oh, perfect. So, Yes, it's very nice. Very nice oh, stuff. Perfect timing, yeah. Because yeah, it's uh, you know that's something. It's a little trial and error, and especially if you're doing uh, a comic the way I am, it's uh, strictly black and white. When you want something like wispy smoke or wispy gas, like that, that becomes a a drawing problem. So I would like. You know, I think well, depending on the scene, how wispy it is. If it's if it's very breezy and and whatnot, there's definitely a way that you're going to have to depict it. But I think the style in which you draw normally, like like your style specifically, if people haven't seen it, it is a moment in time. So, like, when characters are having conversation, which happens a lot in your book, it feels like a moment of time, like like almost like a still image in a movie is what we're looking at. So I think your ability to capture this smoke um, through the lens of an Akira is, is high, is very high. Because the way that they have have conveyed smoke in certain scenes, it very much is reminiscent of how I think you would do it. So just in my head, like just putting a one-to-one, I'm like, I can see his books having that style. I'll be sure to check it out. Right now, the way I've been handling it is I've been sort of negative spacing it, where I have a complex interior environment, and I tried to make a point of having textured sort of 70s-era vinyl tile and stuff on the walls and things. So then you can see that there must be a cloud there because it's like you, you're not seeing that stuff. You're obscuring things. It's sort of suggesting that there's a cloud or gas moving through a hallway. But, I, you know, I, I, I haven't 100% settled on it, so we'll see. It, there's a little bit of trial and error with some of the stuff. With all these things, I mean, muzzle flashes... Like, how do I want to do that? You try a couple ways until you decide, like, okay, that looks right. Uh, Same with the onomatopoeias. What does a gunshot sound like? What does a body falling on the floor sound like? Like, stuff like that, you know, and you try different things and, like, let it sit for a day and see if that seems right. And then it's like, no, I think there's a better one. I think I actually polled you guys. I had dogs. uh, I needed the sound of dogs 
running across tile. Mm-hmm. That kind of, you know, that tap, tap, tap of their nails going across the tile. And it's like, how would you, how would you guys onomatopoeize that? Mm-hmm. And so I think I settled on like a, a T-I-K, 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 like, you know, a little like lowercase kind of sprinkled around yeah, like, running. Yeah, we all know that sound. We all know that sound of a dog running across tile. But it's like, okay, now you're doing a comic. How do you write that? Yeah. You know, I'm curious. Um, like, I, I don't feel like we're fully out of the episode as far as the main subject goes. I feel like that is all, you know, useful information. Um, I'm curious, what have you learned over your first two and a half issues of your books? I think to trust my instincts and not be afraid of the work. I think, uh, you know, 75 was a wild swing. It was like a pinata swing, a blindfolded, just like we'll see, you know. And the fact that it connected with some people was a happy uh, thing that I was not banking on, <laughs> but also a validation. Uh, now, I don't do it. I don't do it for the audience. You know, I, and I've said this a lot in a lot of different places. Even if I only had six or seven readers buying every issue, that would be fine. Like I, I, it's very much like this is, I'm just making art that I'm enjoying making and I'm trying to do it to the best of my ability. But to get some validations, like some people, like they're reading it and they're really into it. Any tendency I might have had to, or inclination I might have had to hold back a little bit or be like, nah, I don't know if anyone's going to be into this or I don't know if anyone's going to care about this. It evaporated that last little bit of that. And it's like, you know what? I'm just going to write the story that seems right to me, the story I'm excited about drawing, and I'm just going to draw it. And that in terms of the not be afraid of the work, some of the pages I've done that were the biggest pain in the ass are pages that people will talk to me about later, you know, and then, and, or that I'll even have a lot of self-satisfaction looking at later saying like, you know, that turned out really nice. So like, that's where it's like, you know, it's worth it. It's, and that's why I've almost grown, almost grown to love the pages that are the pain in the ass, because I know that those are the pages I'm going to end up liking the most. They're going to pay off. That's good because, you know, it's funny just listening to other artists talk about it. They're, the experience is a little different. You're like, where I'll hear them say, you know, it took me X amount of hours to do that background, and there wasn't much dialogue on it, so people flew by it. So it took me 20 hours to draw, but it took people 30 seconds or less to pass by, and, like, that's the frustration and it's it's interesting because I was was um watching a YouTube video of J. Scott Campbell. It was a bunch of artists. I think um, uh, Dan Panoshin was one of them. I think Joe Quesada was another one. It was like a drawing jam session. They picked something to draw, and they all just drew their version of whatever that was. And so J. Scott Campbell, I think he was the the guest of that week, and he was talking about basically why he doesn't do interiors anymore. And it's because when he was drawing Gen 13 he would labor so much over all of these backgrounds, this action, the composition. And um, at the end of it, people would get the new issue and they would comment and they would say, oh, man, that issue was so good. I read it in five minutes. And so instead of him going like, 
oh, that's cool. You liked it so much that you just flew through it. For him, it was like, what the fuck? It took me countless hours to draw that thing, and it re- you read it in five minutes. And so it's kind of a double-edged sword. It's like, yeah, you want people to be so excited that they say they read it through for five minutes. But in reality, the hope is they're laboring over the pages and checking all the art out before they flip through. But, you know, when you're reading something, you just want kind of the visual stimulus, uh, stimulation, stimulation, and then you move to the next page. So it's interesting. You have to look at it through two different perspectives. It's just as far as being the creator and being a fan of comic books. How do you consume your comic books? Because I know I kind of do the same thing. I move through pretty quickly. But, you know, like, yeah, if it's an artist that I love, I'm going to pour through the pages a little bit more because I want to study the art. But I'm doing it for a different reason as opposed to someone who's just a fan and just reading the book. Yeah, I mean, I, I think as my final note, it's, it's about rectifying those two things. You know, like there's a there's an adage about a novel that I've mentioned on the podcast, I think before, which is, you know, someone mentioned I buy novels because when I buy one novel, I'm buying four years of that novelist's life. That's a cool thing, you know, but then you contrast that with a note that I got back from, you know, like just to use it as, as an example from Mike, when Mike did my, um, the, the line edit, you know, the, the third, not, not line edit, but like the big edit of my novel, I've mentioned it on the podcast for the last, you know, X amount of weeks. It, it, he gave me some great notes. He did it in one sitting. Oh, wow. It's like, look, that's flattering. Because if you're, if you're making someone want to go through it in one sitting, that means that there's something compulsive about it. So I totally get that dichotomy, you know, that, that pull. But, you know, it's, it's like your story is, sums it up so well. You know, you spend all this time, all this time doing something. And if someone loves it, then they're probably going to tear through it. Maybe read it a second time and then just put it in the collection. But here's the cool part. They're going to love it forever. They're going to comment on it forever. They're going to think about it. So I do think that there's something about that equation where once you're done with it, it holds a lovely place in your mind, in your heart. You recommend it to other people. And maybe someday you go back and enjoy it. But that's, you know, that's kind of what creating art is, right? Like the equation sure as shit doesn't work. The amount of time we put into stuff for the amount of time someone gets out of it. But the better you make it, the more people want to devour it. And, you know, that may not be the worst thing. Yeah, that's, I was going to say the same thing. Like that, that, that's art. I mean, there's no art that you can make that's going to take anything less than a hundred times the amount of time it takes to consume it. <laughs> you know, I mean, that just think what, whatever it is. And I think that's the, the two important things are first what Keith said that maybe you're giving someone out there something that they're going to keep for a long time, you know, and, and, and I think art at its best, that's what it's doing. It's, it's showing someone a different way to think about something, a different way to look at something, make them feel something maybe they haven't felt before, or that's a unique, just, it's a variation on a feeling they've had before. There's just something that's going to stay with them and whether they remember it or not, whether it's something they talk about, like, I've had 8 million conversations about Rosemary's Baby in my life. You know, there can be that kind of thing where you're citing, this is a thing, this is a piece of art that did a thing to me, this is a piece of art. But then there are probably hundreds, if not thousands, of other experiences I've had with art, with music, a comic, a book, a movie, that got in there somehow. 
And I can't sort out what the pieces that I carried with me, but I carried something with me. So you're doing that. But then in addition, and and this again I think goes back to maybe my first question to you guys where it's about how art is a it's an inward journey. It's a it's a solitary thing. There is some value in the making. Even if nobody picks it up, <laughs> even if you're on a desert island, you know, carving things in coconut shells, there is some value in that. There is something, and I think if you can appreciate the value in that you're going to be a much happier artist. <laughs> you're going to be a much happier creative. Yeah. I'll, uh, I'll leave us on this. So this goes back to something I had mentioned previously, you know, the Neil deGrasse Tyson clip that I watched. When you learn how to do something, you're learning how to solve problems in a different way than you knew before. So whether that be you creating comic books, writing a novel, uh, learning how to do some plumbing in your house, how to, I don't know, install uh, sprinklers in your your backyard, you're learning how to do different things in, in a different way than you did before. And you can take some lessons from those things and maybe apply them in some manner to something else that you do in the future. So hopefully that's something creative and uh, something you guys enjoy doing. And hopefully you guys enjoy this episode. It's a super long one. This is our hundredth episode. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Gary, thank you so much. Uh, the joke of you ending up hosting actually came to reality and we definitely appreciate all the questions because this was a tough one. We didn't know what to do for the 100th. We wanted to make it special, and I definitely think you did that. We'll make this way easier on you at Christmas time. We promise we won't load you with this much, man. Yes. <laughs> we will actually think of questions in order for us all to answer together. Oh, you, and then you we'll can be sit back doing... and answer things. Yeah, exactly. Yes, Thank and you. we're more than likely going to be doing that year-end wrap-up where we're talking about our favorite books, our favorite comic books, graphic novels, whatever, music, movies, etc. So get get you know look forward to that. That's coming at the end of December or the beginning of January, whenever we decide to put that out and record it. Um, we'll let you guys know moving forward on that. So we'll definitely have Gary back for that. We love the year-end episode. It's very fun. It's something a little different than we do here. Um, as far as social media, you can find me at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. At Keith underscore Invader is your boy Keith. I am posting all kinds of stuff, life, pictures, comics, etc. And at Kadoja Kaiju, that is my all Kadoja only uh, Instagram, but I use that way less. So, you know, at Keith underscore Invader, that's the one you want. And you can find me on my YouTube under my name, Gary Hodges. You'll know you found me because the icon is a little cartoony dinosaur eating an alien. And you can find me on Instagram, Dinosaurs vs. Marsbots. Dinosaurs vs. Marsbots. And uh, for my books, Second Shift and Wonders of Melisanda, you can find those at AccidentalAliens.com. Second Shift, The Tale of Minimum Wage Workers During the Day and Superheroes at Night. And Wonders of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs vs. Humans all at AccidentalAliens.com. Yep, you can get all my books at KeithRFoster.com. There's a web store there. There is Kadoja, Giant Monsters, Meet H.P. Lovecraft, and Three Protectors, Kung Fu in Space. KeithRFoster.com. And if you guys have liked this episode and want us to expand on anything that we talked about, any of the questions Gary had, maybe you have your own follow-up questions regarding the first 100 episodes, hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com or any of the social medias that we provided to you uh, previously. Yeah, hey, you know what's great? 
Five stars on Apple Podcasts and five stars on Spotify. I got nothing, dude. I drank a 22% fucking beer. <laughs> Stories will follow at some other point, but they ain't following today. Hey, Gary, did you have a place uh, where people could maybe get your books? That you can find it through my Instagram or my YouTube. They have links links to my Etsy store right there. Oh. Comics are in stocks. You can get Deaver's Zen 1975, Deaver's Zen 1997, available now. Deaver's Zen 1979, available early next year. And if you enjoy Gary and the way he talks and the things that he says, you can go to his YouTube channel. I was actually a guest on there. I go in depth on the Slack method. So if you guys are a newer listener to the podcast, don't know what that is specifically, go to Gary's channel. I talk about that, uh, my wrestling career before making comics uh, on that episode. It was a very fun episode to do. It's roughly about two hours, I think. You know, Gary was uh, doing his thing in the first about 30 minutes, I would say, and then I hopped on. I was having a little bit of technical difficulties, but I was on there for an hour and a half after that. So uh, if you want to check that out, uh, go to Gary's page. What's the, what's the quickest way to get to your page? Did you mention the link exactly? Just just search for Gary Hodges on YouTube. Okay, there you go. There you go. It's like, it's like making comics bonus beats. You know? Yeah, and then Keith is, uh, is, you know, supposed to be on an episode as well. So yes, that's Keith, we're gonna story. have him on uh, very soon. Actually, we might as well when we go off air, we gotta look at some potential pairs. Hell yeah, there it is, there it is. So by the time this episode comes out, hopefully Gary's episode with Keith has aired. Um, Gary's show he does live streams every Saturday. They're very fun to listen to while I'm working, and then I chime in and I kind of troll Gary a little bit because it's fun. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, so make sure you're checking that out. Look up Gary Hodges on YouTube, and I'll also type in, if you want to find the episode specifically with Gary and I, just type in Gary Hodges, Scott Lost. More than likely, that'll pop up. You can watch that episode, and then you like and subscribe, and then you follow the rest of the videos and check those out. So, um, well, thank you. Thank you guys again for joining us for episode 100. Thank you so much for all of those who have been listening since issue, uh, issue one, since episode one, we appreciate you. We thank you for sticking with us. For all of the, all the new listeners that have come in and gone since then, we truly appreciate you. We appreciate all the star ratings and all of those good things. And uh, we'll see you next week. Seventeen percent, everybody.